Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 51. I'm the uh, fox on the other side of a half century, Kyle Gold. Yeah, and I never thought we'd make it this far, Cam Hirosaki. I just looked down at the little printout. It's like episode 51. I was just like, damn, really? I know. That big five there really is kind of intimidating. I know. I mean, it was easy to miss like during the live show because we, it was you know a live show. And we didn't have anything printed out, actually. And we, we didn't, although we did have a borrowed projector. We did. And some hilarious moments. Yes. And in that sense, it was very much like Unsheathed Presents number four. But In that sense, yes. In other senses, not so much. In, in other senses, not so much. There was more of an audience at the uh, Rocky Mountain Live show. Uh, speaking of which, we would like to extend a specific thank you to Wu Wei Wolf, who uh, helped us out greatly during episode 50. He not only helped with the technical setup and ran liaison to the con staff to make sure we had all the equipment we needed, but he also spent... A good number of hours that afternoon with Kit, I believe, setting up the pyramid and game show and changing some of our wonderful ideas to be ambushes. Oh, was that his idea? Or is that some of that his doing? I I believe at least partly, although I'll still give Kit most of the credit for it. And uh, while we're thanking people for the live show, a big thank you to Rocky Mountain FurCon. Yes. They supplied all the equipment we needed, including a screen for the projector including an extension cord for the projector, which were things we'd not really thought about heading into it. And they let us use the con room, and despite our asking it kind of the last minute. So big thank yous to those guys. They were very helpful. We had a great time at the live show. We did. It should be. It's true. I, I'm talking about it like nobody else has seen it yet because it's not up, but by the time this episode's up, the live show will be up, so people hopefully have heard it. It was a lot of fun. If you thought it was yes. fun just listening to it, then... I, too, am in the future. <laughs> and speaking of other episodes of Unsheathed, we're going to be taking down episodes 1 to 24 shortly. Um, we're still going to be selling the DVDs for purchase at conventions. Uh, go to Fur Planet or so forth Press and... One of them should have the volume one, which has all those episodes on it. Along with lovely art by Bobby No. Yes. And um, include some personal reading of our stories in there, too. So it's And the missing episode of Anthropodcast. Right. Which I That's almost DVD, forget it's on there. But it's not on iTunes. Right, 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 right. So um, we're going to, yeah, we're going to take 124 down off off the feed just to keep things nice and so that when people go back to the beginning and kind of start listening to us, they don't hear our scratchy voices on badly recorded Skype and it's all just the real professional quality podcast. We should maybe include a little intro like this is unsheathed and something like that to put up on the feed, but we can figure that out later. I don't have to do it live on the podcast. (laughs) Kid snaps up from the mixing board to stare at me like... Episode one of Unsheathed is the stupidest thing ever made. It ruined everything. And not just podcasts, but everything. There was no plot. 
the characters aren't even consistent. Kim Hirosaki wears pants. <laughs> uh, we will be doing a live in our home area episode. Yes. We have found a location. Yes, a venue. We will be pinning down a date in the next couple of weeks, from which you can infer that it will not be in the next couple of weeks, but we're looking at kind of late, late August or early September. Certainly it'll be before rain first. Yes. Maybe, you know, before Labor Day or something. I don't know. It would kind of have to be before September 20th in order to be a live summer episode. That's true. Otherwise, it would be a live autumn episode, which we could also do, but we're not going to. Don't look at me that way, Kit. I was going to say, like, knowing if it's before or after Labor Day, we'll know what color pants we need to wear. Which should not even be an issue for you. Yes. I'm not wearing any pants. Film at 11. Um, I also want to add that we're trying out some interesting beverages here. I've Damon Husky, who's a fan of the show, commented on Twitter that a mixture of three parts of Dr. Pepper to one part Coke is called a black gold. And so he wanted to know if you used Diet Dr. Pepper and Coke Zero, if that would be a Kyle gold. And I said you'd have to reverse the proportions. So three parts Coke Zero to one part Diet Dr. Pepper. And he said he would try it, and I'm assuming he did, although I didn't hear a report. And it so happens that we have Diet Dr. Pepper in the house, so, yeah, I know. Uh, it was just there? Other, it, it appeared one. Beverages appear here sometimes. It's kind of odd. People come over, they bring stuff, they leave it. So, anyway, I had all the fixings here. I didn't have to go out and get any of it, and so I am trying for the first time for myself what has been, what is my eponymous drink? All right, he's gonna go see what he tastes like. I <laughs> uh, should have said you that like had half to a second there. later. You Damn had it. to go there. <sighs> my timing was so close. No, it's not too bad. <laughs> it is acceptable. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Coke Zero, a little bit sweeter. You can taste the Dr Pepper, definitely. My secret is when I go to, like, the movies or, like, a fast food restaurant that has a little, like, self-serve fill-up fountains, I'll always put, like, a tiny bit of cherry Coke in and then fill the rest up with Coke Zero. Ah. So it's, like, low-calorie, but it has a bit of a flavor to it. Well, I happen to kind of like the flavor of Coke Zero, but this is an acceptable beverage. and I like the flavor of Coke Zero. I too. think since I'm... I don't know that it would be appropriate to have an alcoholic cocktail named after me. I will settle for the pop cocktail. Oh, you know, what's funny is like, I've gotten so used to Coke zero that whenever I go to like one of those like rare places that only has diet Coke, it tastes so weird now. I usually get diet Coke when I go out to restaurants. So it's well, diet Coke from a fountain specifically. Yeah. It's a little different. Yeah. Or just like, ah, why? I, I kind of switch back and forth between vanilla Coke Zero and regular Coke Zero and Diet Coke. So you don't drink the cherry Coke Zero. You know I don't like it. Really? Taste the the cherry kind of gives it too a little too chemical flavor for oh, me. Tastes fine to me. And uh, we also have on the topic of uh, things that people take. Well, do you want to introduce your beverage and then I'll go so on to our other refreshments. Speaking of people who d- do drink alcohol. Uh, as you know, and anyone who has seen me this weekend knows, uh, 
It has been a weekend, I'll just say that. Um, Came here as Haku was attempting to drink a bar in San Francisco dry. <laughs> and very nearly succeeded. Uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, I'm thinking about, like, the last non-live episode about, like, species bonuses to capacity and whatnot, and I'm just not going there again. Yeah. <laughs> Although that that was a, a an entertaining little side note. Yes, I still have to listen to that episode. People tell me that it comes across very amusingly. So anyway, what are so you yes, drinking? This is this is from uh from my good friend Rolokota. This uh this is his own sort of not well not homemade wine. I hesitate to call it that, but it's uh <laughs> it sounds like it's like growing grapes out gin. in the backyard. Yeah, and- no. Um <laughs> There's this company up in San Francisco that sort of lets you like manage your own wine, as I understand it. You basically like, pick like you know the type of grape, the vineyard you're going to get it from, and you know you get to put together labels. This one has an otter on it, except I think it's a sea otter and not a river otter. So I will shake my fist at it. But uh, let's see how the it's a Cabernet Sauvignon, by the way, with uh, grapes grown up actually in Napa Valley, which is you know like our. I want to make fun of people who prefer Sonoma, but I think that includes B-Hop, and I don't want him to be mad at me. Ah, that's all right. He's he's too nice a guy. He wouldn't be mad at you. He, he he actually, more our, our local wineries are sort of the Santa Cruz Mountains. I just had um, a friend of mine telling me that they do like big winery tours and stuff all up in that area. And they're really excited you know, when local people come by and know about them. So. As long as I've lived here, I don't think I've ever actually been to Santa Cruz. Somehow wow. I've just never been to Santa Cruz. We all have to rectify that. I mean, like, I've been to Monterey to see my fellow otters, but I've never been to Santa Cruz. Those are also sea otters. Uh, they did have a big otter exhibit for a while where they had different kinds of river otters and oh, stuff. okay. Yeah. Well, the famous otters of Monterey, the ones that you can go out and yeah, kayak yeah. with, those, them. Those are sea otters, those are but sea yeah, otters. No, but they had a they had like an otter special thing where they actually they had more species of otter there than I knew existed. Wow. Which I didn't think there you were a lot. You need to look up your family tree. I know. I'm such a bad genealogist. I should taste, taste my wine. A good genealogist always rubs his lamp. You're lucky this wine is good otherwise I would throw it in your face for that. <laughs> No, you would you would never waste good wine like that. No, but I'd waste bad wine. <laughs> Luckily, this is not bad wine. So it meets your approval. It does meet my approval. Awesome. So, congratulations shout out to, to shout out to Rolakota for supplying the wine. Yes, and for for being a good uh, amateur vintner. I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah, that works. Uh, and we also have supplied by fan of the show Growl Tiger. Um, some Fox's Creams. Yes. Just all all over the table. Oh, they are. It's all, yeah. They're a, uh, they're actually biscuits. Yes. From England. Yes. From the England. So, um, apparently during this podcast, we will be sharing some Fox's Creams. (laughs) I'm trying to place your accent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you yeah, don't sound good. you don't sound like you're from Atlanta at all. <laughs> are you from the ATL? <laughs> the ATL. <laughs> Hi Don, are you? He uh, doesn't listen to podcasts, he won't ever hear this. Which is why we can make fun of him. Oh yeah. As opposed to Lovejoy, who does listen to this podcast and I make and fun, we'll of, make him fun anyway. of him anyway. <laughs> Speaking of people who write into the show, we have some emails to read. 
while we're enjoying our Fox's creams. See, si. uh, this is a the first one. We actually have to apologize a little bit for. He wanted some help keeping himself on track during the month of June, and uh, we have kind of overshot that a little bit. A um, that's a kind of a caution to everyone who writes in. If you decide to write in with a very time specific email, you run the risk that we may not notice the time specificity and read it. But anyway, he originally sent this on June 3rd, and he writes, Dear Fox, Otter, Wolf, and possible non-species-specific guest, I am one of the many writers of Furry Erotica, though I have shown only one of my stories to date. I am writing to ask for the help of this podcast. I have an idea for a novel that I've had for several years now, and I really want to start writing on it. I tried to do it while in high school and made it 255 written pages into the story before writer's block and procrastination kicked in. Now I want to restart the story with furry characters soon. My goal is to have 10,000 words by the end of June, and I will be writing in to report my progress. Now for a couple questions. Firstly, how do you try out and develop your story characters? I will sometimes use new characters in a role play to see what sort of personality they will have and various things like that, but that is not always effective. Secondly, I'm not sure if I want to have sex in my novel. Is it a good idea to write it into the first draft, or even as a side story to make sure it would work out? Fluffily yours, Lutra Mustil, Professional Otterfox. P.S. If there's anyone that wants to follow my progress, I will be using my Twitter, at Lutra Mustil, to update my progress daily, I hope. Well, uh, I apologize for the delay, and I do hope you're still working on your novel. Do let us know if you got to your 10,000-word goal. Yeah, I mean, ten thousand words in a month is eminently doable. By now, you should be at about twenty-five if you were at that pace still. Yeah, um, developing story characters, using them in a role play is not a bad idea. It's not. Actually. It's not. Some, it's not something I tend to do myself, but uh, I can see where it would be useful. Yeah. Yeah, I tend not to do it either, uh-huh. just because I, I like to have a closer reign of my characters than that. Um, unfortunately. Or fortunately, I think one of the things that we've both observed is, and I, I, I know not Tubes mentioned this also, um, one of the ways you develop your story characters is by writing the novel and seeing what they develop into, and then you go back and change their characters. Um, I have one character who's a new one to the second Out of Position novel who started out one way and kind of developed a different way over the course of the novel and I'm now going back and rewriting all of his parts yeah. to make him fit. Other things that have happened to me have been like I've done role plays online that have then inspired stories that I've gone on to write but that's not like oh I copy pasted a role play log into a thing and then tweaked yeah, it to yeah. make it into a story like I'd actually like would write the story from scratch. And I don't think that's what he's doing. I no, 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 He's no, just no. using just the saying. characters in role-play to, yeah. to kind of figure out what they're like. I'm just saying that, like, role-playing as a writing tool is not inherently a bad idea. That's the point I was trying to make. Right. Yes. Um, and as for the sex in the novel, uh, I think we have another letter which will help us answer that question or at least address it. And thank you for that segue. Yeah, Doc Severs is so old. Pumping up our... Uh, <laughs> Sorry. How old is he? <laughs> Bumping up our uh, most frequent podcast writer in. 
Yes, this is lucky thirteen here, isn't it? Uh, it I believe it is. All right, I, I'm going to enjoy a fox cream while you're reading that. Oh, if I can watch and oh, see, he's doing it on purpose. Kit, Kit's not even looking. Okay, greetings again, sheathers. Recently, your erotic writing podcast has been much more about writing than it has been about erotic. So here's a little quandary I found myself pondering. Oh, you spelled quandary wrong, Condrell. I'm so disappointed in you. I found myself pondering to swing the scales back into the right, or perhaps wrong, oh so very wrong, direction. Namely, I'm having trouble with a couple of sex scenes in an extended story of mine. That's not to say that sex is lacking. Oh dear God, no. I am still a fox, after all. The problem is that they're not doing much to advance the story. So I guess my question is thus. How scorchingly hot does a scene have to be before you'll consider it for inclusion, even when it doesn't move the plot forward? I've planned the story I'm writing as erotic fiction, but so far all of the sex scenes that look so good on the storyboard before I started writing them aren't doing much for the story. They're hot, oh yes, they're steaming, enough for me to get a little flustered just imagining them while I'm searching for the right descriptions to use to set the scene. The problem is that they don't feel necessary. I know you two have run into this in the past, but I wonder if you might expound a bit on how I can overcome this dilemma. I really do want to include the sex. It's, it's fulfilling to me as a writer, and I believe the scenes are sufficient to do the proverbial job for my readers. It sadly just doesn't seem to advance the narrative. Thanks for your advice, Candrel, the proponent of penetration. See, he keeps coming up with these witty taglines and interesting questions, so that's why he gets so many letters right on the podcast. Yes, also, which is he, why I'm allowed to call him out for misspelling quandary. Exactly. <laughs> also, he writes a lot of letters into the podcast, and that's also why. Oh, yeah. You know, if, you, if you throw it up at a dartboard, eventually some of it will stick. <laughs> that's kind of mean to control, actually. Man, that's twice in a row I've done that. I'm sorry. I, did, I, I keep on like unintentionally dissing you, Condrell. I, this is this is from from me that's to you. I don't do it on purpose. He's going to come around at FC with like a bottle of wine spiked with something or another. Now, see, Goofies. I'm just thinking of the episode of Mythbusters where they like build this Korean siege weapon, which is like a bunch of arrows with rockets on them. And wow. Yeah, and like people were debating like whether this ever actually existed, and it's just like people were down like, oh, like would it even work? And it like it's this thing; it launches like a volley of five hundred arrows, and they built one, and they managed to get four hundred ninety nine of the arrows to fire successfully. Wow! On like their first try, and they're like, yeah, this is absolutely a feasible weapon. It was actually really awesome. It's one of my anyway. So you think Condor's going to bring one of those to FC for you? Yes, (laughs) and. It will f- flamingly pin my rudder. Oh, God, that sentence can't end well no matter how I end it. So about your I question, Condor. Readers, readers, just <laughs> send, send in your imagined descriptions of what Hirosaki's <laughs> flaming pin tail would look like. And uh, we'll maybe read the best ones on the air. Um, that gives us something for our readers to do, or listeners. Can't we just go back to tearing apart Candrel's prose? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd forgotten about that one. Uh, some actually somebody later on one of the letters here actually references foosball, ooh, which is entertaining as well. Um, I, now I'm just thinking I want to see like furry MythBusters, where they're like, do otters really have stretchy mouths? Are foxes really all bottomy sluts? <laughs> uh, apparently, um, this was second or third hand, according to the panel at um, the fox panel at RMFC, the fox panel. Were you the one who was telling me this? Yes, one of my friends attended it. 
Yeah. And he said they were on a mission to tell the fandom that not all foxes are bottoms. They're all switches. Yeah. <laughs> that was their big takeaway from the RMFC panel. Shine on, you crazy diamond. Yes. You know, nothing about foxes not being defined by... Sexual sex. stereotypes, yeah. Right. But, you know, just not the bottom thing. Which, again, gets back to, okay, it's not true, but if it were, what's wrong with that? As I think Lee says, either in my old book or my new book, someone's got to be on the bottom. Yeah. And it might as well be him. Right. That's where he likes to be. Yes. He wrote a whole song about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just... That had been, like, secreted away in some pocket of memory. He did. Someday we'll uh someday we will reveal that song to the world. We can put it on a uh, unsheathed uh, volume 3 DVD. Is <laughs> your uh kid is shaking his head. So, about sex in the story. Um So, he or, says it's not advancing the plot, but is it developing the character's relationship as my first question. And you know, that's that would be a good way to use sex because yeah. It's kind of difficult to use sex to advance a plot. Yeah. Um, I mean, I should say that differently. Sex can be a part of the plot. I think what what Condor's running into is something that I also run into, which is the sex itself works for the story. It develops the characters, advances the plot. But the level of detail mm-hmm. that we like to provide about the sexual encounter is not necessarily critically pertinent to the plot it's more a case of hey we're just doing this as he so um aptly puts it to do the proverbial job for his readers i know he's not british but he's in england so yes i'm actually kind of interested to meet him and see what a new england accent sounds like after living in england for 10 years (laughs) new england versus old england yes death match (laughs) um that accent's idiotic. <laughs> There's our first 30 Rock reference. Yes. Um, so, I think in a novel, you've got a certain amount of leeway. Yeah. There's, you know, technically a lot of the, if you're going to go through and be like, well, technically this description isn't fully necessary, you know, of a scene, you can go into a little more detail. Um Similarly with the sex, if it kinds of if it breaks up the pacing of the story a little bit, um, a couple of the ways that I use it is to slow down and give the characters room to breathe. There wasn't very much sex in Shadow of the Father because there wasn't very much breathing going on in that. But yeah. I had two scenes, and the kind of what they were intended to show was first how it was more like friends with benefits sex, and right. then. The second scene was much more, um, there was much more romance and love involved in it. And I missed you and we both almost died. A lot. So it's perfectly fine to have extended sex scenes. Um, I know some critiques in my earlier books were that there were too many. And I think kind of the balance is you want them earlier on when the action hasn't quite developed as much. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you want to sort of let the plot keep going because people don't want to – there's a certain point in a book beyond which people don't want to pause for a nice sex scene. They want to keep following the action and see where the story ends. Right. So um, 
to answer that, to go back to Lutra's question as well, if you're not sure if you want to have sex in your novel, I would say just write it and don't put the sex in. You can always kind of develop the scenes out later. Um, but as with Condrill, if you've got the sex scenes in there and you want to keep them in there, leave them in there. I yeah. mean, unless you're writing Summerhill, it's just a few pages. I was going to say, like, there's like, oh, like, well, you know, if you've got that, like, scene in Summerhill, and I'm just like, Summerhill shouldn't be used as a basis of comparison for anything. <laughs> it just really shouldn't. It, it It is quite its own thing. Um, Do not emulate Cam Hirazaki, kids. So, I guess my advice would be to both just see how it fits in the flow of the story. Yeah, I mean, I'd say trust your instincts. You need to be you need to be able to read and judge your own story flow. Yeah, and uh, and take it from there. Yeah, like don't feel weird about it just because it's sex. Just treat it like any other scene. Right. I mean, that's what I would say. And if you have you know if you have a page of description where you want to really set the yeah set this the setting in place for someone you know that doesn't really advance the plot either it just adds to the character of the novel right and a sex scene can do the same thing you don't as you said it develops the characters and kind of shows yeah. you their relationship and have you, you started know? reading palimpsest yet by the way i'm not like yeah she does that all the time where it's just like and you know now we're going to go out of our way to describe something that is never going to come back again, but it's so integral to just sort of the description of how everything is working that, you know, it becomes important because of that. Right. All right. Well, hopefully that helps you guys. So we'll move on. So an otter and a fox walk into a bar. And the otter gets stupid drunk. <laughs> Which is funny because after the otter walked into it, you'd think the fox would have ducked. <clears throat> Okay, well, we he, all... he was so intent on like you know not bending over and you know reinforcing a stereotype. Right. See what I did there? I, I am see not a stand-up there. comic for a reason. <laughs> okay, we all know how that goes. But before I degrade into silliness and such, I'd Too like late. to pose a few questions to you, KM and Kyle, about writing. That's what we're here for. I'll freely admit I'm no yif writer and tend to dabble in the G to R-rated categories. But a lot of what you have said in past episodes has helped me considerably both by suggesting books to get, Stephen King's On Writing and Lev Grossman's The Magicians, to name two, and suggesting ways to improve my writing. I cannot thank you enough for this, as it is hard for me to find anyone to give me pointers, be it by reading my works or just hearing someone suggest ways to improve in general. However, there's a few questions I have that I have tried not to be repeat questions. That's one of those imprecision sentences where meaning backwards sometimes writing people force readers to do... Okay, Yoda. Um, first, my biggest issue I find with my writing is dialogue. Not necessarily writing it so much as writing the flow of A said this, B said this, C said, B said, etc. I don't always like to end with said A or A said. I like to spice it up, but find myself lacking, as many of my stories end up having more than two participants, leading to an issue of how to point out who is saying what without directly stating it. Is this an issue I should take some worry in, or am I possibly overblowing it? Second, you mentioned many times about word count in relation to lengths of novels. This actually surprised me, as I used to count using pages, and huge error on my part that I now see. Even more, I see why it is such a big error when it comes to stuff like formatting, which can change things around, whereas word count cannot. 
So just what is a good average for different types of stories, be they short stories, novellas, or full-on novels? Thirdly, what are breaks between chapters? How does an author know when to break between a chapter if writing a piece that needs separate chapters? I do have a novel I've worked on and rewritten multiple times for the past three years, but plan never to finalize until I know I'm much better than I am, and the issue of knowing when to break chapters has come up for me. Any help is appreciated, of course. As an aside, or two, I must agree with NotTube in the recent podcast about American Psycho. Having recently finished the novel myself, I can say that you do indeed just about scream out, Yes! I have finally finished this book! Simply because, as he stated, it's a book that is interesting because you cannot put it down for the story. Although I found many of the gratuitous violence to be a little over the top, but that's expected in a parody. Also, seeing as you're calling for pieces to edit, I have presented to you such piece, a piece of such work. It's a rewrite of a smaller piece I wrote, intended to be a scene out of a graphic novel I hope to draw at some point in my life. I tried my best to shorten it down to a workable length of a page, but the shortest I could get with my skills seems to be two pages. I will freely admit I do feel slightly intimidated, and I'm fearful of the hacksaw rat foos, but I will take it with a teaspoon of salt if I must, and take whatever you say to heart. Border Walker. Hey, he spelled foos right. Congratulations. He did, although he capitalized it. Foos does not oh, take a capital right. on his name. He does not. No, he is a lowercase foos. But he d- it was in the sense of a title, though. He does say hacks are at foos. And, to, and it's true, but yeah. foos is quite insistent on his lowercase status. Yeah, that's true. Weird British people. However, yes. <laughs> a shout out to... He's not really British. He just lives there. Anyway. Like Candrel. Yeah. Do we actually have any people who write in from England who are British? Uh, I know people who are... Wait. I was like, you know, I have like my one my, my one British. I was like, well, no, but he was actually born in the United States. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> the only person I think I know who are friends with who was like born in the UK is Fuzzle. And he lives in Texas. <laughs> I know. <laughs> No, I know I must damn, have damn modern world. No, I, I, I have. Well, I, I mean, have, who've written into the podcast? Yeah, yeah. So, like, I have a couple of British friends who, but they don't write into the podcast. Yeah, podcast. Anyway, yeah. okay. Um, easiest question first: word count. Generally, short stories end at about seventy five hundred to ten thousand words, depending yeah. on who you ask. That's the upper limit there. The uh, right, the Hugo Awards, uh, short stories end, I believe, at seventy five hundred. The next category is novelette, which most people don't really recognize, and that goes up to 15,000. Yeah, which it's not really a very useful definition. Right. And then novella goes from 15,000 to 40,000, and a novel is anything over 40. Uh, More practical definitions, I would put a short story at anything up to 10,000 words. Yeah. I would take a novella up to about 50, and anything over 50 would be a novel. Because... Honestly, these days, if you go into sort of like the niche science fiction or fantasy markets with anything less than 75,000, 80,000 words, you're going to have a hard time publishing it. Yeah, when I think like ballpark length, like novel, I tend to imagine between 90 and 120,000 words. Yeah, 90, 90 to 110 is more classical range. Okay. Um, mine tend to be on the long side. Mine are all 120, 130, but that's not critical. Uh, like some of the young adult urban fantasy goes down to about 60,000, 70,000. Yeah. Anyway. I'm, th- I'm thinking Summerhill's going to end up around 70, which would be short, but still definitely novel. Oh, yeah. Um, 
breaks between chapters. There's not really a right or wrong answer to this. I no, mean, there was one. Wasn't there a chapter in on London that was just one word? No, or it was one, one sentence. Sentence, yeah. It was like she was wrong about that, though. Of course, or something like that. Yeah, which yeah, it's it all has to do with the pacing of the story. This is starting to become an episode about pacing, but it's basically when you want to give the reader a break, and you can do it. You can put a cliffhanger at the end of chapters. Yeah, or you can just say, well, and then, you know, then they went on to the next thing. Common use for a chapter break is time elapsed. So if you say, and, you know, then there was the end of the day, and then the next chapter starts out. The month of November flew by quickly. So. Yeah, that happens a lot. Also, it really depends on the style of book you're writing. Like, if you look at, like, your typical airport thriller, like, your chapter's going to be, like, three pages long. Because you're going to read it at, like, ten-minute intervals. Like, yeah. that sort of thing. Or, like, if you're the sort of person, like, you know, you read for, like, 20 minutes before bed, they have really tiny chapters for that reason. And and that'll be just kind of anytime there's a scene break, you'll right. do a chapter break. Um, the latest couple books I've been writing, the chapters break when I switch point of view characters. Right. Um, so, I don't know. You just get a feel for this part of the book has gone on kind of long enough, and yeah. I want to break it up a bit. And, like, I was going to say, ideally, your chapters should all be around the same length, but that's not even true. No. You can have long chapters and short chapters, and it doesn't really matter. It's always, like, it's like paragraphs. Some paragraphs are going to be shorter, some paragraphs are going to be longer, and it's just whatever works for them. And that, and like paragraph structure, it's going to fall into your own writing style. Like, I tend to use fairly short paragraphs compared to a lot of people. Yeah. But that's just sort of how my writing goes. <laughs> a lot of our advice, this podcast, is just kind of like... Figure out what feels right and then just do it. And kind of the way you figure out the kind of the way you figure out what feels right is to go out and read a lot of other stuff. Right. And that gives you a sense for the field you're working in. Yeah. Like I don't think speaking of books that we've convinced people to get, I'm amazed you didn't mention Cloud Atlas. But Cloud Atlas is broken up into sections, but they don't have individual chapters within them. No, I don't believe they do. So Um as for the dialogue thing, you know, it's just, again, read how other people handle it. Yeah. If you've got multiple characters, hopefully the voices are different enough that you can occasionally get away without attribution, but you still want a lot more attribution in like a three or four character scene. Exactly. Um, but you can break it up by action attribution instead of just dialogue attribution. So you could do something like, I'm tired of this. Jane folded her arms. I'm going to sit down in the corner here. Yeah. Oh, don't be silly. Dick put his book down. You know better than that. And instead of saying, I'm tired of this, Jane said, and then she folded her arms. Just sort of put her action in the paragraph next to the dialogue, and that implies that she was was the speaker. There was some author, this was like about a month ago, had posted like an exercise on how to pare down... Your dial- was it Chuck Palahniuk? I don't know. Or, I don't know. Oh, what you're but it was about really there. good, and it basically showed like, let's take this scene and you know work it up. On, uh, I've you know, oh, Poet Tiger's linked to it off of Twitter, but this would have been weeks ago, so I don't know how I would find it again. I'll look for it. All right. But it was actually really good, and it was it would be really useful for this. I will say that the solution is not 
to come up with alternatives for the verb said. Yeah. And it's not That's to not use good. and it's not to use epithets. Epithets drive me crazy. Oh my god. Give an example of one. So it's like in order to like spice things up it'd be like you know, you start with names then it's like it's like, oh, like you can't do that, like the younger male said. Like, oh, like, I don't like it when, like, uh, it just. Well, but you can't call out the species. You, well, yeah, you can, but that's specifically endemic to us as furry writers. Yeah, well, that's what well, we were but, talking well, yeah. to, so. But I mean, like, and this is something that, like, really just reeks of, like, amateur fan fiction to me. Like, if you're now you're reading something, like, I don't know, like, you know. Firefly fan fiction and it's just like or like the pilot looked over at you know the court it's just like ah oh, it's just like no no you can use people's names you don't need to obliquely refer to everyone it drives me nuts anyway rant over because I will keep going if you don't stop me alright we'll stop you we'll look for that dialogue exercise and why don't we why don't you read the next letter and then I'll read the last one and we'll answer them both because they both have similar questions okay Dear Vulpines with K-beginning names. I'm not a Vulpine. I'm a Lutrine. They're different. I'm slippery. I find I have a similar problem when I write. Rather than write the story, then edit and edit and edit, I find that I spend too long self-editing as I write. I wrestle with each sentence, or I stay on one or a few paragraphs so long that all the momentum is sapped out of actually writing the story and things never get finished. How do I make myself stop editing as I go, stop worrying about what I have now, and push on? Also on the topic of momentum, inspiration and my attention comes in spurts and then is quickly spent. I get excited about a story and I start working on it, but my attention is stated far sooner than the story is ending. I then will often shelve the story and feel guilty about not going back to it. Then I get hit by the new shiny. From Rachan. Sorry, Adam. Fox is cream in my muzzle. Yes. Yeah, don't roll your eyes at me, Kit. You're the one who put him out here. If you didn't want us to make puns at them uh, about them all episode. All right. Last letter is, Hello, Kyle and K.M. Hirosaki. I hope you two are well in whatever endeavors you find yourselves in. Um, I am a writer, and though I'm not as talented as either of you, I always enjoy writing things down when they come to my mind. I think of all these good ideas for characters, plots, and situations, and immediately write my thoughts down just so I don't forget them. But the problem I have is that when I get a certain distance through the story, I no longer feel as connected or intrigued by what I'm writing. On top of that, I'm unable to come up with any ideas to advance the story. I guess you could say I'm facing a partial blank screen. Is there something that I can do to overcome this? Or is there a technique I could use to help me be more creative? Or is it just that I've not found an idea that really drives me? I hope you're able to help me out with this. I'd greatly appreciate it. Your pal and fellow blowjob enthusiast, I give... Foxy the Wind Dragon. Thanks for sharing, Foxy the Wind Dragon. <laughs> yes, thank you for that. Um, so both of these letters are kind of about momentum going through a story. Yeah. Rashawn's running into problems with going back and editing, which to me says that he's not really caught up in the flow of the story, that he's thinking more about the words than about the story. Yeah. And he and Foxy both have this issue where they're not excited by the idea anymore. And so they stop writing it. And I think part of being a writer is trusting the idea that you start with yeah. and being able to push through. Because there's going to be sections when you're writing, especially a longer story. Yeah, There's going to be sections where you're just not excited by it anymore. 
and you have to keep you have to push through that yeah. and you have to trust yourself that you're going to get back to a point where you are going to be excited by it um and this kind of contradicts some of my earlier advice where i said don't write the parts of the story that bore you because that'll show to the reader but you have to write those down on a first draft because you have to get through the story and it's when you go back yeah. and edit it that you're going to say wow, this part of the story is really boring. But the more you go back and reread your story and, and familiarize yourself with it and kind of live in it, the more you're going to get a feel for how that story is supposed to flow and yeah. what belongs and what doesn't. Like, I I still maintain that as much as you want to try to plan everything out in your head beforehand, you will not be able to look at the story properly until you've gotten it all out onto the page somehow in some form. If it's all in your head, it's impossible to see clearly. Yep, exactly. Unless you're like some weird savant, but which I'm sure happens with oh, some yeah. people out there. But but a lot of the, don't count on yourself being that person. A lot of the professional writers I know, they'll uh, or not that I know that I've read about who've talked about this will say, yeah, the book company demands an outline of a book so that they know you know the whole story, and so they'll you know, write down as much of an outline as they can. And then they always say the final product just diverges wildly from whatever they wrote. Oh yeah. And I can believe that completely. I'm looking at Summerhill and what that started as, which I didn't know what it was then. And I'm not sure I know what it is now. <laughs> Except that it's cool. It is. Co it is cool. We are going to keep teasing people about it for this like is, a this while. Is, this is never going to get finished. Oh my God. <laughs> it will. See, this is one of those cases where you have to, you get through and you get to the point where the project is hard and you can't, you can't always come up with ideas. Um, you know, a couple things you can do. I know a lot of writers are really reluctant to talk about stories in progress mm -hmm. and I'm one of them. I don't want to talk about a story until I've written out the first draft yeah. and actually I don't show anyone until I've written a second draft of it. But if you're stuck in the middle of a story, talk to people about it because yeah. If you can find a friend that you trust, a lot of times it's in telling the story and telling the cool idea that you had that reinvigorates you to write about it again. And your friends can often come up with, oh, that sounds like a cool premise. And then does the, you know, then does the fox get on top? And you'd be like, whoa, I never thought of that. That's an awesome idea. Yeah, having just like another thing to do that with and. To a lesser extent, you can kind of do this to yourself. Uh, I sort of, and I'm not good about keeping up with it, but I do sort of keep uh, a bit of like a writing journal, not like my writing journal online, but I have like a book where I write about what I've been writing about just real briefly. That's and a lot so of, meta. I know. Uh, but no, just to sort of, so I know where my, my head was. And there have been times where in writing that it's sort of, just giving me a weird new perspective on whatever was going on, and it's really helped ideas click for me. Yeah, and it, it comes back to something that I know we have recommended in the past, which is you have to be thinking about your story a lot. Yeah. You have to be turning things over in your head. Like, I wasn't... I'm sort of deep into this out-of-position-to editing thing because just in the last month, I started getting feedback from people, and... It took me a while to really process that feedback because my mind was in completely other places. But once I started about it, I thought, oh, that's right. 
you know, I never was really 100% happy with how that worked in the story, and now I know the way to fix it. And you kind of turn things over, and I'll play the scene in my head, and I'll be like, oh, I don't, I'm still not happy with that, still not happy with that. And woke up one morning and just thought, oh, that's how I fix that. Yeah. And it's always very gratifying when you do that. Oh, yeah. And it always comes along. But, you know, it's, that's just part of it is persistence, uh, trust in yourself, trust yourself as a creator, because you have to believe that the story, when you finish it, is going to be worthwhile. And that's a hard thing. Um, it's We don't do this because it's easy, though. We do it because we are compelled. Um, even when, you know, uh, this is... I don't even, what is this? I don't even, uh, <laughs> this is like my seventh novel. Oh God, is it? Wow. One, two, You've if you got... count, if you count inside the cage. Yeah. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, right. six. Yeah, seven. Yeah, seven. Um, not counting the crappy ones I wrote and never going to show anyone. But, um, so yeah, this is my seventh novel that I'm working on. And I'm still, when I was in the middle of it, I was still like, I don't know if this story is going to be worth anything, but I wrote it. I rewrote it. I rewrote it again. I'm rewriting it a third or fourth time now, and it's shaping up. And I like it. This is what makes you better than Anne Rice. That and your writing is good. Plus, I shower. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm just guessing based on her, you know create on Amazon. But no, she stuck up for gay people recently, so I can't oh, did be... she? Yeah, she said she was leaving... Oh, yeah, um, she left the church. She was leaving the church yeah. because of their anti-gay, homophobic, creepy stance. Oh, that's right. We haven't mentioned happy pro-gay fun times, have we? No, which is yes. really exciting politically, but we're um, we're getting the short-on-time signal from Kit. Actually, we got it about 10 minutes ago, but very quickly, props to Judge Vaughn Walker for... Is Vaughn Walker? Is that right? I think that's I know right. I, I you know I, I hear his last name all the time and I think it's Vaughn Walker. Okay. Props to him for several wonderfully worded smackdowns of the anti prop eight I'm sorry, of the anti gay people who were defending Prop Eight. Um big props to Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jerry Brown, and the rest of the California government for accepting the decision, actually sort of putting up minimal fight yeah. in the first place and then Except not only choosing not to appeal the decision that said that gay marriage is legal, but also joining with the plaintiffs on the case to ask that the judge not extend his stay, which would mean his judgment means that gay marriages should start up again, but he stayed his judgment pending the appeal, and he was asked to extend that stay, and the California officials joined with the plaintiffs to ask that he not extend the stay. So... The defendants and the plaintiffs of the case both asked him not to extend it. It's just these kind of wingnuts that intervened with the, on the side of the defense that are now asking him to extend it. Oh, wingnuts. Yes, but, you know, uh, without them, where would we be? Uh, not in the dark ages in terms of civil rights. Well, touche. <laughs> Thanks, as always, for your kind attention and your emails. Yes, we're at unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. We're unsheathed on Fur Affinity. Watch us there for more announcements about the live show. And you can find me at Kyle, K 
K-Y-E-L-L on Furfinity or Kyle Gold on Twitter and LiveJournal. And I'm K.M. Harasaki on all three of those. Good night. And good luck. And keep writing.